Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day in a busy, busy week. Um, if you missed it, did a post-game podcast Tuesday from the Twins win over Toronto. Haven't said that for about 19 years since 2004 in the postseason, but they won, snapping that 18-game playoff losing streak. Go listen to that, please. Again, these post-game um podcasts from these games i'm gonna do them from every game in the postseason at least that's the plan right now as far as they go which yes i understand especially after a game one win that could take us a great deal in the future at least will take us for two more games at the bare minimum um these all have a short shelf life right they play again at 3 30 today so go listen to that right now and uh, check that out lavelle eniel the third join me after the game to break things down and chris hannell um, the Twins fan who put together that excellent documentary on the 18-game losing streak. He joined me again um, to explain fully the catharsis of the streak being broken. Um, today, I've got a couple more Twins thoughts in just a second here. I've also got some uh, some Bally Sports North, Diamond Sports updates, some good reporting in Sports Business Journal that I want to get to, some Aaron Rodgers stuff. Um, yeah, I can't get away from him. And Randy Johnson uh, on go for football here in a little while. Michigan coming to town this weekend. What a weekend, by the way, for sports. Um, first, though, what I missed, like I said, just a couple extra lingering Twins thoughts that I didn't get to last night with Lavelle. And it kind of boils down to this. It was a breaking of the streak, but more than just that, it was an understanding that this team that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have assembled was better equipped to break a postseason streak than a lot of the Twins teams that preceded them and accumulated that streak. And what I mean by that is they have a lineup that hits home runs. Um, they don't have a, one single great home run hitter. They didn't even have anybody individually that got to 25 this year, but they've got like a dozen guys who had double figures, and that led the league. They had 233 home runs. They led the league, tied for the American League, league lead with Texas in home runs. So they are built to hit for power and they are built with the pitching staff that strikes out hitters. Um, the most strikeouts in baseball, that is such a difference, a dramatic difference from years past when they had the pitch-to-contact kind of mentality that worked well during the regular season against the not-so-great teams. But in the playoffs, you have to be able to strike out the better hitters. You have to be able to get those get those out without the ball being put in play. And so we saw some of that in the, in this game with Pablo Lopez having a few strikeouts, Griffin Jacks with some key strikeouts in the eighth inning, and then Joan Duran also uh, finishing things off with strikeouts. So that, to me, is the biggest difference, that this team is assembled in a way that they can win in the postseason. And to me, it's, it was kind of a victory lap day for Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. You had, obviously, Pablo Lopez pitching five and two-thirds innings, one run. That was obviously the controversial, to a degree, um, trade early in the season. Luis Arias going to the Marlins, helping the Marlins. The Marlins are in the playoffs, too. Luis Arias, one for four with a single. Marlins lose four to one in their playoff opener against the Phillies. Small sample size, just one game. Luis Arias is a tremendous hitter. I think both teams benefited from that trade, but you see, you saw all year 
especially in the second half of the year, what the Twins saw in Pablo Lopez, and you especially see it in game one of a playoff series where he goes relatively deep, especially for the playoffs, pitches into the sixth inning, almost gets through six full, and is able to ha- able to be effective enough that they win the game three to one. So you see that, and all three runs accounted for by Royce Lewis, two home runs, the first overall pick in the first draft that Falvey and Levine presided over, a, a draft where... There was no sure thing. There was four or five really good prospects at the top. There was a big debate. Hunter Green, Brendan McKay, guys like that. They end up going with Royce Lewis. He has those tough injury moments throughout the start of his career. And even this season comes right back from the injured list, hits two home runs in kind of a storybook um, start to his playoff career and end to the Twins postseason streak. So just strikes me that that was kind of a victory lap kind of day for the way the Twins are building this and the way that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have tried to assemble this roster. Now, final thought before I get to some other stuff, and again, there'll be another post-game podcast again here later today, so I don't want to clog this up with too much Twins content. Got to get to some other stuff, but the one thing that does concern me in Game 2 and beyond is on Tuesday, in the biggest moments, it seemed like the ball found the gloves of the Twins' best defensive players, Carlos Correa and Michael A. Taylor. Those are two of their best defensive players, hands down, in the lineup. Taylor making some excellent catches, including the one in the sixth inning that prevented runs from scoring, and a diving catch, I believe, early in the game as well. Correa making that run-saving play after the ball eluded Jorge Polanco at third base on that slow roller, so... It found the gloves of the guys you wanted it to. It didn't find the gloves of some of the other guys um, in in some of the other situations, but those were lesser situations. Polanco started the game with an error, but Lopez is able to pitch around it. Um, you know, misplays that other slow roller, that kind of do or die play, but doesn't even knock it down. Edward Julian, I was battling on Twitter with somebody yesterday about his defensive capabilities. I can see that he has gotten better. I still think he is a slightly below average second baseman at best. If the Twins had it their way, he would be the DH. But because Royce Lewis has to be the DH because of his hamstring, you've got Polanco playing out of position at third. You've got Julian at second. Seems like it weakens two spots. I don't think Polanco is a great defensive second baseman, but he is better there certainly than he is at third base. And I think I'd still rather have him there than Julian, especially experience-wise and otherwise. Lewis a better third baseman than Polanco. So, They've got some holes defensively right now when you look at that defensive lineup. Um, so I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. Will the ball continue to find the gloves you want it to find when it matters most? And that is something I want to watch for in Game 2 and beyond. But they send Sonny Gray to the mound. They've got to be feeling great. I, I don't know about the emotional hangover from what Lavelle said. It sounded like the Twins took a very business-as-usual approach to the game. They're not treating this like Game 7 of the World Series, even though a lot of fans might have been at one moment just because of the breaking of the streak. So I think they're in the right emotional state, but we'll find out more on Wednesday. I promised an update on Bally Sports North and Diamond Sports. Here it is from Sports Business Journal, just kind of tidying up some of the reporting that was in the New York Post last week, um, basically saying some of it was some of it was accurate, but some of it maybe wasn't quite the whole truth. Um, one big thing right at the top of the Sports Business Journal report is that uh, Diamond Sports has asked its creditors, uh, asked the bankruptcy court for an extension on its reorganization plan. That now, that extension they've asked for, which they'll find out soon if they get, 
That would go to late November. It's basically a 60-day extension that they're asking for. So a deadline came and went, but they've asked for an extension. Um, so that kind of pushes things down the road. Another thing that pushes things down the road is it sounds like they don't have a deal in place yet with Comcast. There was this notion that maybe they'd signed a one-year extension. That, in reality, is more of an informal agreement to keep talking and to push things down the road. Comcast maybe doesn't want to lock into anything until they know what's going to happen with the creditors in this reorganization. So that has been pushed, it sounds like, into February, which is also when Charter is up. Um, the Charter contract ends at the end of February. That's another big one to watch. DirecTV, according to this report, they didn't so much extend a contract as that contract goes to next fall, but but DirecTV declined to um, exercise an opt-out clause that would have been triggered at the end of this month. So DirecTV is locked in essentially till next fall. Comcast and Charter much shorter term. And what that means is it still feels like you know this is on a very kind of short-term basis, but maybe this can has been kicked down the road a few months if we're talking about bankruptcy court, uh, maybe not ruling until you know probably early 2024. These major cable carriers not um, not having any kind of major news until early like February 2024. So that's something to watch. Feels like it will be status quo at least in the very short term. And it sounds like the report that NBA and NHL would be interested or at least agreeable to taking a pay cut um, diamond uh, from Diamond Sports in this reorganization. Uh, Sports Business Journal clarified that those negotiations would have to be on a team-by-team -team basis, not a league-wide basis. And that's a lot of teams to negotiate with. Remember, uh, Diamond Sports carries 15 NBA teams and 12 NHL teams. So it's you know roughly half of the league in both of those cases so that would be an interesting thing to see would certain teams get dropped would some of the percentages be less than others more than others based on how valuable those contracts are obviously the wild and wolves are on both of those uh, are, are both on valley sports north it would seem at the very least like this means the start of the year and you know the first few months of the season will be relatively status quo if i had to guess october November, December, as long as they get this extension and as long as the creditors then would have more time to decide if they want to accept that plan. You know, we're talking about the first three or four months sounding like there will be a kind of more of the same and that the real firm deadlines, the real action will be early 2024. And that's when we could start to see things fly. And that's when we could really see some decisions for these NBA and NHL teams. And then quickly right on the heels of that Major League Baseball teams as well. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk go for football with Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune. He joins me pretty much every week. And Randy, we're talking about a win rather than a loss um, for the first time in a few weeks. They did snap that two-game losing streak beat Louisiana 35-24 last week. How do they feel after that game? I mean, they were trailing at halftime, but they had to feel pretty good about at least the way they finished and some of the things they were able to get going in the run game, especially without Darius Taylor. Yeah, I think they felt pretty good about the way they played in the second half. They can, controlled the ball. They ran it very well. They were efficient in the passing. 
Uh, you know, every, they had the defense uh, turned up quite, pretty good too after struggling a bit in the first half. They basically basically had a shutout until like the last three minutes. Uh, the, there's a missed tackle and the guy pops it out. Running back pops it out for a 52 yard run for a touchdown. But uh, overall, they they felt pretty good. Uh, yeah, that'll happen after you know they were they had to figure out a way to you know get mentally stronger after the way they uh, uh, collapsed in the fourth quarter at Northwestern. So I, th- I think they feel that they accomplished that. What was the caliber? What do you think of the caliber of Louisiana was? I mean, it feels like the they it was not a team that was just a complete pushover. Maybe like you know compared to maybe like a Northwestern, are they kind of of the of a similar? talent level and skill level at this point or are they even lower than that no i would say that and maybe a little bit better um you know they they they're uh one of the one of the probably one of the top two teams in the sun belt which that usually produces a pretty good uh, uh high uh team at the at the top end of it that you go back to uh 2019 uh georgia, georgia southern comes in here and gave that uh 11 win gophers team all they could handle on um, Gophers had to pull it out with a long drive in the last minute to, to win it. Uh, so yeah, Sunbelt, you know, they got some athletes. That, that quarterback, um, he gave him a lot of fits in the first half with his running ability. They they were able to uh, cl- uh, close up the lanes a lot better in the second half and held them like I believe it was seven yards on the ground in the second half. Speaking of quarterbacks, it was Ethan Calic Manis was pretty efficient for a second game in a row. Are we seeing the Gophers kind of settle in now to what they hope they can expect from him? Or, you know, when we spin it forward to Michigan here in a minute and, you know, that excellent team they face this week at Huntington Bank Stadium, is there still now this this moment where he's going to have to do even more and he'll be asked to do even more? Yeah, I think he'll be asked to do a lot more. Um, You know, what he, what he was able to do the last two weeks has been it was be very efficient. Uh, that helped quite a bit. He had the one interception. Uh, that might be one that uh, you know they don't want to get him in that situation against Michigan. Um, it, it's he, but they you know the way Michigan plays defense, uh, you're going to have to be able to pass against them because you they're they're a very tough team to run against. Confidence wise, then they at least got some of that back. But I mean, Michigan's a, a tall order, even if you're playing at your best, even if this was, you know, a Gophers team of a little bit more experience, of a little bit more of a known commodity, maybe of the last couple of years. Like this Michigan team's awfully good. They, you know, they're, yeah. nobody, they're they rank number two still. I mean, they bring in McCarthy, who is a likely first round pick. Um, so this could be the second time this year, Randy, that we're looking at a guy that Vikings fans are like, Hey, this might, this guy might look good in purple next year. Um, I mean, how do you, how do you imagine they start to try to figure out how to not only stop, but gain yards and score against this Michigan team? Well, yeah, that, that's the thing. Um, for, first of all, um, stopping Michigan, that's uh, going to be pretty tough. They obviously got a really good uh, running back in Blake Corm, who's tied for the national lead in touchdowns with nine. Um, McCarthy, very efficient. Uh, 12 of 16 last week for 156 and two touchdowns in Nebraska, plus a, a rushing touchdown. So he's a lot like Drake May in, in that matter, where he's, he's, he can get you with his feet, too. Um, yeah, that's that's not going to be easy task. Uh, as for Michigan's defense, they've given up 30 points all year in five games, six points a game. Uh, the stat that really uh, it was I thought was impressive um, 
the opponents have had only eight trips to the red zone against them this year so far and have scored uh, two field goals and, and one touchdown when they've gotten there. So they just don't give up much. Why show up then? Jeez, I mean, this feels like it's a daunting task. I mean, man, I I, I know I'm, I'm being silly here. Of course, they're going to show up and, and play the game and maybe, you know, you get big plays or you get turnovers, you get, you know, a surprising ability to move the ball. It can be your day, but like, that's got to be pretty daunting to go up against a team like that that's yielding so little, especially when you haven't felt like you're getting completely on track yourself this year. Yeah, I li- just listening to uh, uh, PJ Fleck on his radio show today. It's just, you know, just tell easy to tell us, but just you just got to play the best game you can, uh, play at your best, and then, then to see what happens. Maybe maybe you get a uh, you know turnover stuff like that. Uh, you know, the the one bit of uh, interesting coincidence is that the last time that uh, the Gophers and Michigan played when Michigan was ranked number two in the country. Uh, it was in 1986, and that, that was a 20-17 to, to 17 Gophers win in the big house. So if you're into, into that type of uh, coincidence repeating itself, we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's you, you play them. You see what happens. If, you know, they're, they're around 19-and-a-half, uh, 20-point underdogs. So, you know, you'll see what happens. It's, it's, you just got to go play. <laughs> and that was a Chip Miller field goal, right? Uh, yes, it was uh, as time expired. Strangely enough, I have this memory. I was, uh, you know, back in the old days of Page Two. This is probably the mid two thousands when the Gophers were playing Michigan. I was with Chip Lowmiller because I was going to write something about him being a high school coach. Now I was up in like Pequot Lakes, I think is where he was, and it happened to be that when I met up with him, the Gophers Michigan game was on, and we were talking oh. about that that last game, and. That was the game they won, I believe, on a last-second field goal again in 2005. So it was amazing oh, to be yeah, there. Yeah, Gary Russell's big run with, there. Yes, oh, Gary Russell's big run and set up. Uh, I can't remember who the kicker was at that point, but uh, but but anyway, it's that does does tell you that the the wins over Michigan are few and far between. It hasn't met, really mattered who the coaches are, who the quarterbacks are. Michigan is one of those blue blood programs in the Big Ten that when they are on the schedule, it's going to be tough to beat them. That said, Randy, it it does feel like the way you described what PJ Fleck said on his radio show this week that, hey, we're going to show up and play the best game we can. I'm a little bit disappointed that in year seven of PJ Fleck, that's the mentality. I get that this is a really good version of a really good program, but that's I don't think that's how. Wisconsin or Iowa or, you know, some of the teams that you might aspire to be probably approaches Michigan, unless I'm wrong about that. You know, I, I, and, and I, when I listened to that, I, I, you know, basically he was saying they have to play their best. Okay. Um, not, you That's know, the, you know, so it's a situation where, yeah, you're, you're going to need that best effort. If you, if you're going to have a chance, he wasn't, I don't feel he was, who pull in their chances, but you know, okay. he, he did acknowledge the, how, how good Michigan is. And you know, that, that, uh, you know, that's pretty obvious. It's, it's, yeah, it's, they're, they're not, uh, they're not giving up much of anything to anybody. And now we're getting to the portion of their schedule where you realize what the margin for error was and what the margin for error lost was when they couldn't finish off that Northwestern game. You still got Michigan on the schedule. You've got Ohio State later in the year, and that's at Ohio State, right? I mean, those are two games where at the start of the year, you looked at it, you're like, it's going to be tough to win those. You got to kind of take care of business everywhere else. 
And even if they are able to do that, and I don't know if we have evidence yet that they are that team that they can beat Wisconsin and or Iowa this year, but there's a lot of daunting games left on the schedule. They're through the part of the schedule where you say, okay, um, you know, North Carolina, notwithstanding, they should be able to run the table through that portion of the schedule. And they had, of course, the narrow win over Nebraska that could easily have been a loss, but wasn't. And then the loss to Northwestern that was disappointing. Um, you know, the Louisiana game was close, but they did win that. I mean, I don't feel like they're 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 firing yet in the way they want to be to be up against, you know, these last six or seven games they've got. No, they they need to play better than they have. I you know, that's that's uh that's that's clear. Um yeah, you look going in when you look at things on paper, you look their their best chance to win the West would be to okay, if you not I put uh Michigan and Ohio State down as losses. Um, beat Michigan State in the, in the other East-West crossover game, and, and then run the table in the West. That puts you would put you at seven and two. That would be, give you a pretty good chance of winning the West. Usually, one loss or two loss win, wins that division. Last last year was an exception. The three loss Purdue, Purdue team won it. Uh, now you, you lose a Northwestern uh, to get that back. You're going to have to knock off one of those uh, two behemoths. Uh, you know, basically, if you want to get back on schedule, um, you know, and we've seen that. Uh, the West is, uh, you know, pretty, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of parity. Maybe, maybe Wisconsin is a little ahead of, uh, of a lot of teams right now. Iowa just lost their quarterback for the year to a torn ACL, so they they might not be as quite as powerful. But you know, you see, um, Purdue just put uh, put a, ha- a hammering on Illinois over the weekend, and that was a little surprising on uh, the margin, especially. Uh, so. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a winnable division, but uh, giving away that Northwestern game, you know, just took their margin of error away. We've knocked them down, or at least I've knocked them down. Let's build them back up again. What what is that perfect game? Well, how can they be competitive with Michigan in this game? You know, I think it's just um, they're going to have to force some turnovers. I, I either that or get something in the return game. Uh, you know they they need an explosive play going against Michigan somehow to to even things up. I would I would say, yeah. You know everybody uh, kind of gets uh, tired of uh, the old trestle ball that that Flex, Flex use. You know run run the ball, kill the clock, keep your defense on the sideline. If they can do that, they'll take that against Michigan. Um, you know if you can limit that their offense, keep them on the sideline if you can. Um, you know. There's just a lot of things would have would have to go their way. It would start with with a with a running game, and, and then you would need some pretty efficient passing out, out of Ethan Kaliak Manis also. Yeah, I would imagine that's that's a good piece of the formula. I mean, aside from that, aside from you know winning, there's probably still a chance they can feel better about themselves because they you know I don't they they can't really be satisfied with with the way they've with the way they've played so far this year, and so they could probably take even some positives out of this game if they are able to kind of reestablish or find the identity that I think they wanted to have going into the season. Yeah, that, that's been elusive. I, I think we saw, saw, we've seen it in bits and pieces. We, we did see it uh, for, uh, for good stretches against Northwestern and, until until they uh, collapsed. Uh, we saw it uh, in the second half against Louisiana. Uh, Eastern Michigan, that, that was one where they just decided we're gonna, we need to figure out a running game when we're just going to run until until the game is over um so yeah it's been they haven't been consistent and and that's that's the one thing that they do need to find to get the seat 
to put the season on a, on a, a, a good note, I guess. So McCarthy, is he going to be a Viking next year? Oh, wow. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, I think uh, depends on what happens with the rest of the Viking season here. What, you know, is, is that uh, what we got out of that, uh, that they squeaked one out in Carolina? Is that, uh, uh, does that start something or is it, does it show more than the warts, warts that they do have? Um, if they have more warts, they have a, would have a much better chance of getting a quarterback like him. How good is McCarthy and how bad are the Vikings? Well, we'll be watching a lot of that this weekend. The Vikings have their own tall task with Patrick Mahomes coming down. It's a fun weekend of football, though. I mean, with both of those games here, even though, you know, you can't get much better than the opponents with number two Michigan and the de- defending Super Bowl yeah. champs. I mean, these are these are two games. That, you know, you give you give both teams at least a chance. I'd say the Vikings uh, a better chance than, than the Gophers. But, you know, both of them are going to, Give it a go, and it should be a fun weekend of football in tandem with all the baseball happening here. And uh, we'll read it. Oh, Mike, is uh, Taylor Swift going to be in the house on on Saturday or Sunday? On, sa- on, on Saturday? Is she going to come to the? Is she Sunday. is she a, is she a Gopher football fan too? Is what I want to know. I, I'm um, very surprised there. I you know she's been to two in a row, but you know one of them was a Chiefs home game, so that one made a certain amount of sense. The other one was in New York. And that's where she lives already. Does she really want to come to Minneapolis for another NFL game? I mean, maybe. The only thing I can think of is they're enjoying this publicity. They're loving this ride. And nothing the NFL and Taylor Swift love more than publicity. And I believe this is the last game before her movie, her her, her concert footage movie comes out on the 13th. Um, wow. My nine-year-old's very keenly aware of that. So... Um, I would say that maybe there's there's at least another uh, another Taylor Swift appearance, and uh, that that wouldn't surprise me this weekend. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see though. We'll have it all covered. You'll have the games covered, and I'm sure we will have the Taylor Swift angle and all the Viking stuff covered as well. Randy, appreciate it. We'll talk about this game next week. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. Good stuff from Randy. And yes, I would definitely say the Vikings have a much better chance of beating Kansas City this weekend than the Gophers do. Michigan, Gophers 19-point underdogs, Vikings just 5-point underdogs against Kansas City. So tells you that they are certainly not the favored team, but 5 points is, you know, is not insurmountable. Obviously, it means one break for the Vikings. Gophers going to need like 3 or 4 breaks in that game. Uh, Kansas City awfully good, but not playing great so far this season. So we can't count out the Vikings in that game. We'll probably talk more about that. Certainly we'll talk more about that on the Access Vikings podcast coming up later this afternoon. Again, part of a very busy day. If you're not sick of the sound of my voice by the end of this week, you never will be. Speaking of the Chiefs, let's finish with the cooler. The Jets just played the Chiefs, lost, but Zach Wilson played better in that game, but still the Jets losing more than they're winning this season. Aaron Rodgers, of course, a big part of that, injured his Achilles on the fourth play of the season, will not go away, will not accept the notion that, A, uh, he's probably not going to play, almost certainly not going to play this season, and B, that nobody really cares what he has to say right now while he works through his rehab. He's on Pat McAfee every week, still still insisting that maybe, just maybe, a 39-year-old quarterback can come back from this devastating injury in the same season. There is no way that's going to happen. I'm such a naysayer. Aaron Rodgers would hate me. He said, the, he said 
This is just my mindset. I believe in the power of intention. I believe in prayer. I believe in your mental status and the power of will. I believe in making room for the miraculous to happen. That's fine. That's great. I love the idea of manifesting. I love the idea of leaving yourself open. But there are timelines. There are doctor-studied, peer-reviewed journals. He's doing his own research again, isn't he? Oh, he's doing his own research again, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's, he's kind of reading up on it, kind of making his own timeline. He said, I have some things working against me. I'm 39 years old, oldest player in the league. Yeah, I would say that's working against you. A lot of people have a really hard time coming back from this. However, I haven't really paid any attention to any of that stuff. I just kind of have been making my own protocols and my own timetables. Oh my goodness. Yeah, let's just uh let's just leave it at that. Aaron Rodgers doing his own research again. Not going to work out great for any of us, but you know what? Maybe he'll come back next season, he'll be healthy, but as for 2023, I think all he's trying to do is keep his seat at the table warm. He does not like the idea of the Jets going out and getting another quarterback, especially a high-profile quarterback, especially one that maybe plays for the Vikings right now. We'll see if any of that becomes a reality, if any of that is a true thing that might happen if these teams go on parallel paths, if the Jets are still good enough at a certain point to think they can make the playoffs, and if the Vikings are bad enough that they think they won't be at the playoffs picture by the trade deadline. But for now, I think Aaron Rodgers just trying to stay in the spotlight and trying to keep his seat at the table warm. He can't stand thinking about anybody else coming in here. That will do it for today. Like I said, Axis Vikings later, another Twins post-game podcast with Lavelle E. Neal after this. Um, later tonight so busy 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 go back and listen to the game one post game podcast for now i'm michael rand back at it again later on